Portions of this show have been pre-recorded. Uh, yeah, it's a podcast rebroadcast. All of it is pre-recorded. You big dummy! Computer, stand by to receive our transmission. When it comes to shows about movies and comic books, heroes and crazy news, I tune into BK on the air from 10 to noon, set a base. And once again, it is my pleasure to be filling in the enormous captain's chair of one BK on the air. I'm Alan Sanders filling in and uh, BK winding down, wrapping up his vacation and we'll be back next week. We'll be at full complement here on the bridge of the Enterprise. But for now, he is out and enjoying a last day of the beach. Uh, he, he did it right. Uh, he, he got in touch with Mother Nature. Uh, see, this is how important BK is. This is how... Um, like in in touch he is with so many of the important elements of the day. It's why you got to tune in to BK every week here from 10 to noon Saturdays. He got in touch with Mother Nature. Mother Nature said, okay, I understand you want to go to Universal Studios in Florida. Now, I'm planning on taking a hurricane through there. Okay, I'm going to take the remnants of Ian. I'm going to come in off the West Coast, and I'm going to come straight through, and I'm going to go right over Orlando. And he's like, oh, are you? Like, but tell you what, for you, for you. I'm going to hold off to let you go down to Universal Studios first. And then I'm going to jog right, and I'm going to go head out to the Atlantic. So that way, when you head over to Panama City, you can chill out on the beach and have beautiful weather. I'm going to do that for you. That's how connected BK is, folks. That is why he is the Grand Poobah of the Loyal Order of Water Buffalo of all that is nostalgic geekiness right here on WBHF, and then later on the BK on the Air Escape Pod podcast. All right, let's get into some topics. Let's get into some of the stuff today. By the way, we do have a Golden Rage of Television segment, or TV segment, coming up with Pat McCormack. It's going to be coming up for you, talking about uh, one of the folks responsible for a character on the classic 60s Batman show. We'll talk. I'll just, I'll just drop that there as a little tease for after the first break and uh, see if you uh, can figure out what I might be uh, discussing. But we will have Pat McCormick. We'll have uh, news of the weird, the strange, and the bizarre coming up a little bit later. We will certainly take a look at some of the news that's happening in Hollywood. There's a lot of stuff that's been going on, including one of my favorite, I would call it comedic, but Marvel franchises. It was part of Sony or 20th Century Fox at first. But then, I so said, yeah, 20th Century Fox. But then, of course, you know, Disney absorbed it. And there was a big question about Deadpool. Deadpool, an R-rated, violent, and very adult, uh, in the sense of the language and the and the and the kind of uh, storyline. Deadpool. What was going to happen with Deadpool when it was brought into the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, under Disney, under Disney's umbrella? Would Deadpool continue to do the kinds of what, what made Deadpool great? The fact that he was uh, irreverent, the fact that he was, um, you know, outlandish, that he did swear, that he did, uh, uh, it was hyper violent. I mean, I love the the first Deadpool is better than the second. I'll tell you that there, there's no doubt the first Deadpool is better than the second, but the second is not bad. Ryan Reynolds have reinventing, by the way, because Deadpool did show up in one of the Wolverine origin movies. It was so bad that Ryan Reynolds mocked that version of Deadpool in the first Deadpool movie, there are so many wonderful Easter eggs in the first Deadpool movie. And uh, Ryan Reynolds is just fantastic. He is just 
great. And uh, I'm even going to play a clip. I won't be able to do the whole thing because um, I'll skip forward to the end. But uh, Ryan Reynolds got an actor to agree to playing a part that we thought was done. Yeah. If you, oh, did I not tell you? There's going to be a Deadpool 3. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, just this past week. And we'll get into it in a little bit. I'm not going to do it now. I'm just teasing. This is this is amazing. All I'm doing is just teasing what's coming up on the show. But I've got a little bit that was done with Ryan Reynolds. It was shared on YouTube of uh, of what we're going to have in the Deadpool 3 storyline. And they're going <laughs> to answer some questions. But in true Ryan Reynolds fashion, it is hysterical. Because we actually don't learn anything. <laughs> but it's so much fun. Um, it looks as though Disney is going to say, you know what? Deadpool is Deadpool. And the people who know Deadpool know what you're getting. We're going to trust adults to be adults. We can't control everything, uh, even though they may have a different agenda taking place, ruining the rest of the MCU. They're saying to Ryan Reynolds, we're not going to control you. You've got a storyline. We've approved it. They even thank Kevin Feige uh, for approving the storyline moving forward. It's set for a late 2024 delivery. So it's still two years away. Okay, you're not going to get it next year. It's two years out. But hey, there's going to be a Deadpool three. All is right with the world. Whatever else is going on, if we can get a Deadpool 3, then all is right with the world in my mind. So we've got a Deadpool uh, story coming your way. Um, I've also got a story about the the last gasp of the box office this year. 2022, we're in the last quarter. And people are still not going to the movies with the same intensity that they had been pre-pandemic. It's gotten better. But you've got a couple of big tent poles still coming our way to the theater before the end of the year, including uh, Black Adam, which, by the way, to me looks horrible. It might be great. I like The Rock. I think The Rock is a funny uh, and a pretty decent actor. I just don't think it looks like a good movie. Black Panther 2, we'll have to see how they handle the passing of the actor uh, who played Black Panther in the MCU movies and the Black Panther standalone movie. We've got Black Panther 2 coming and... A re a, a relaunching of the Avatar series. If you remember Avatar by James Cameron, which by the way got re-released, just got re-released uh, last weekend, and or two weekends ago, and was I know it was this past weekend, and made about ten million dollars at the box office. It is the still reigning world champ. It, it regained it. Uh, it. There was a little back and forth with Endgame, but it retook it back. It is still the single highest grossing film in the history of cinema on the worldwide stage. And they re-released it to just buffer it a little bit more to remind audiences, well, what is the world of Avatar? What were what was going on? And, and what was it between the humans and these beings that were much bigger and uh, different creatures on this planet? Well, James Cameron has been long talked about doing a trilogy following Avatar. He's written it out. He was waiting for the technology to get even more advanced, which, by the way, Avatar is a gorgeous movie. Avatar, it may not be the most original storyline, but you know what? Dances with Wolves in Space is still an Academy Award-winning story. I mean, Dances with Wolves is fantastic, and Avatar really is the whole story of invaders to an indigenous peoples and them relying on their strengths as an indigenous people versus the technology of the invading force. You've seen the movie a hundred times before, but you've never seen it visually like James Cameron did it. So Avatar got re-released because they're getting ready for Avatar 2 that'll hit this Christmas. It's part one of a trilogy of stories that are intended to be in this world. 
Now, James Cameron, he may be a jerk, but he's the kind of jerk that gets results. He gets performances. He drives the technology. Avatar still looks today as gorgeous as when it was rev- as when it was first released. You don't, to me, notice any kind of flaws in the CGI and the technology. We've got that story coming up. Is Star Trek back on the chopping block for another movie? It seems like Paramount's removed it from its slate of films. We've got uh, John Williams being knighted, James Bond. We, Heck, we've got so much coming your way. Stick around for more of BK on the Air. And now these messages. How come you cook so many vegetables, Mom? Well, someday I see a tall young man with broad shoulders. Me? You. And I do everything I can now to help you get there. Good food, rest, exercise, and also chocks vitamins with iron. Iron? Because you're growing, you need as much iron as your father. And these help make sure you get it. I like chocks. And you, Mom? Chocks and Chocks Bugs Bunny with iron. Right. Only one man could destroy a Caribbean island. Only one man would drive a car with an ejection seat. Only one man can turn off an atomic bomb, blow up a volcano, hold a helicopter in a suitcase, a rocket on his back, artillery in one hand, and a beautiful woman in the other. Only one man. Who are you? My name is Bond. James Bond. He's back. Sean Connery as James Bond, 007, in Ian Fleming's Diamonds Are Forever. He's back in the diamond fields of South Africa, in the casinos of Las Vegas, on an offshore drilling rig, and 180 miles in space. Sean Connery as James Bond is back, and he's bigger than ever in the newest, greatest Bond adventure of them all. Diamonds are forever. Diamonds are forever. From United Artists, rated GP. They contain material not suitable for free teenagers. Diamonds are forever, 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 forever. I'm Earl Shive. I'll paint any car for just $99.95. This week only, you'll get polyurethane additive free. A $19.95 value absolutely free. With polyurethane, your paint job will have an extra hard glass-like finish and added durability. Your paint job will be guaranteed not to fade for four full years. Remember, free polyurethane this week only at Earl Shives. Right. I'll paint any car for just $99.95. Sorry, miss. I was giving myself an oil job. Greetings, fellow classic TV fans. Batman has had his share of supervillains to battle, and one that has doubled as a love interest. The Batman-Catwoman saga has been in the storyline for the better part of 80 years. During the first two seasons of the classic TV version, the incredible Julie Newmar donned the seductive black cat suit. Julie had a highly acclaimed career on Broadway and in films. She appeared on many classic TV shows like The Twilight Zone, Route 66, Star Trek, Get Smart, The Monkees, the list goes on. Reportedly, it was Newmar who lowered her Catwoman belt to accentuate her perfect hourglass figure. And I'd just like to add, meow. 
Later becoming an innovative clothing designer, Newmar gained three U.S. patents for her creations in women's undergarments. As a nutrition and healthy living advocate, she claims to have never drank, smoked, or taken drugs in her entire life. And she's also renowned for being highly gracious with her fans. So, with all this, I would say the casting of Julie Newmar as our bad but good Catwoman was the perfect choice. For BK on the Air, this is Pat McCormick with the Golden Rage of TV. You're a rare lady, Catwoman. You're right on time. I'm rare. In more ways than that. I'm glad you decided to surrender. We would have caught you eventually. Do you think so? Certainly. There's no escaping the inexorable law of justice. Shall we go? Must we? So soon? Gotta tell you, loved, loved Julie Newmar. But I, you know what? As a kid watching Batman, watching the classic Adam West, Burt Ward Batman on television, I never really thought... I mean, I was a kid. I didn't have a lot of thought then. Kids aren't really all that bright. I'm just going to let you know that right now. Some are, but I wasn't. I was a pretty vacant-headed kid. Not a lot floating around up there. And I didn't really pay attention to the fact that there were three different cat women across the series. But something about Julie Newmar. What did Pat say? Yes, uh, love love the character, but I like the story that Pat brings to the to the to the to the BK on the air here today. That Julie Newmar was a very talented and multi-talented actress across stage and screen, small and big, and of course got the three patents for uh, undergarments for women. Uh, which shows the business mind and a business sense, a designer sense. She was a multifaceted performer. And the fact that she prided herself that to the end of her days uh, wasn't a, a drinker or t- doing drugs or did anything really unhealthy. And you know what? If you need an example of what clean living can bring to you, maybe maybe take a look at <laughs> how she looked her whole life. Julie Newmar, just an incredible, incredible fun person to, to see as Catwoman and watch that continuing back and forth banter relationship with Batman on the, uh, the campy series. Now, granted, I, I appreciate the television show for what it was of the day. And as a kid, Love the fact that it was so formulaic. You knew that the, there was going to be a different bad guy gang roaming the streets of Gotham. They had some big plan, whatever their next heist, their next move, their next plot, and that Batman was going to slowly investigate it, that there was going to be one, maybe two small fights, but then there was going to be the final fight at the end with the pow and crash and bang, and and it was always going to end on a good note. You'd have the bat pole, you'd have the commissioner, you'd have the bat signal. Loved the show. I'm glad... It evolved because the show, while campy and fun in the 60s, we're not in the 60s anymore. And there are some people that get trapped in a certain era. Now, there's a difference between appreciating what happened in an era and thinking that that era is all that exists and that everything needs to still be in that era. It doesn't work that way. And I think that's where some franchises fail when they either try to reinvent themselves or they try to uh, try to. Uh, reignite, um, not just reinvent, but reignite themselves and try to do it exactly like they had before. You've got to evolve. Uh, it's no secret. I love the the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Now, the third of that movie, I think Nolan, just he and his brother, tried to pack so much in to close out the chapter. It felt bloated. It felt like there was too much, and they didn't really... 
it wasn't as polished as let's say the second one. The first one, a great intro to a trilogy, Batman Begins. If you've never seen uh, the the Christopher Nolan Batman Begins, it's amazing. When you watch it, you can you find yourself in a modern 21st century day saying, "Well, yeah, of course we could have a Batman." You know, you can't necessarily have a Spider-Man. <laughs> you can't necessarily have a Hulk. But Batman's just an ordinary guy with extraordinary resources. This is a guy who went through a lot, trained, got some of the best physical training in the world, but also had some of the most wealth in the world to then take and use that wealth in a way to fight crime. Christopher Nolan does it in a way that whether you liked that version of Batman or not, when you watch it as a movie and say, is it possible to have a caped crusader running the, the streets of Gotham fighting crime? You watch the movie and you go, yeah, yeah, I buy it. Okay, okay, you got me. <laughs> the second one, though, we're talking as a comic book movie, quote unquote, The Dark Knight is equivalent in my mind to an Oscar award winning film. The story, the acting, the performances, Heath Ledger as the Joker. The idea of what society is willing to do when you strip away the safeguards, when you introduce a little chaos, which is what the Joker is all about. There's a great story that uh, Alfred tells Bruce that sometimes people don't have a motivation other than they just like to mess things up. They just want to watch the world burn. That movie, if you think about when The Dark Knight came out, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight, the second in the trilogy of the Batman series with Christian Bale as the, as the title character, that was right after War on Terror. That was really right after we were watching people who we were trying to wrap our minds around what would lead people in this world to just bring about death and carnage for the sake of terror, for the sake of death and carnage. And Christopher Nolan, in his beautiful storytelling, said, you know what? I'm not going to tell the story of jihad. I'm not going to tell the story of uh, different religions. I'm not going to do that because that's going to be too obvious. That's going to be too in your face. But I've got this world that I wanted to explore. And look, I have got the archetype of chaos in the Batman stories. I have got the Joker. And I can write an entire story around the rise of literally a crime terrorist whose sole function is he doesn't like the current society. Not for any other reason other than, in his mind, the world's more fun if you blow it up. It's just more fun to set the world on fire. And it's an amazing movie. It is an amazing film. Batman, Joker, both sides of the same card. And often in the comic book, you find that the that there's a hairline's different between what the Joker's doing and what Batman's doing. You could argue they're both insane. You can argue they both take the law in their own hands, that they want to do it their way, that they don't have a problem using violence to achieve their ends. The difference is Batman's doing it for what he believes is good. And we could argue, based on society, he's on the correct side. But the Joker thinks... What he's doing is for good. The Joker truly believes in, in the Nolan world, but also in Batman, that the chaos, the carnage, is better for society because look at all the people wearing fake masks. Look at all the people acting like they're supposed to, behaving in a certain way instead of being who they want to be. They can't be free, and I'm just freeing you to be whatever you want. Total chaos. No rules. Anarchy. 
Now, we know from a civilized society that that doesn't work, but the Joker doesn't think he's doing anything evil. He honestly doesn't think he's doing it. He starts off the movie trying to break down organized crime because he's like, you shouldn't have anything organized. Everything should be on fire. Fantastic. So, Batman segue, thanks to Pat McCormack for that, for bringing us Julie Newmar that sent me on a Christopher Nolan re-screed. You know, and I mentioned that because there was some rumor... But I think it's been pretty well squashed, but you know how it works on the internet. You know, you get one of these uh, uh, fan magazines or these online zines, these, uh, these e-magazines that have to give you, give you a reason to click on their articles so they can generate ad revenue. And so uh, for the last couple of weeks, I kept seeing uh, Christian Bale is interested in returning to the Batman universe. I'm like, really? Does Christopher Nolan want to tell another story? And then, of course, there was the obligatory... Christopher Nolan mulling around the idea of maybe another Batman story. I'm like, mm, is he really? Is Christopher Nolan going to go? I don't think that that's a real thing. I, I just feel like Christopher Nolan is just one of those filmmakers. He wanted to do a trilogy on Batman. He knew uh, the direction he wanted to take it. He knew the social commentary he wanted to add into the scripts. I think he did a phenomenal job. Like I said, the third one definitely falls off. If I had to rank them, it is definitely Dark Knight first. Followed by Batman Begins, followed by Dark Knight Rises. So two, one, three. Isn't that funny how that usually works? The Star Wars trilogy for me. Second movie is the best. Then you go to the first movie. Then you go to the third. Uh, it, it's just kind of ironic. Um, it doesn't doesn't do that with Indiana Jones. I can tell you, it's the first movie, then the third, then the second. <laughs> the second one is a distant second. And oh wait, there's four? No. Okay, fine. Four. Well, four is. Um, Four was an excuse <laughs> to make a lot of money, but four hopefully is going to lead us to five, which comes out, I believe, next year and will hopefully take us in a completely uh, better direction because four, four wasn't really that good. I will tell you a thing about, about uh, Indiana Jones 4. If you stop, and this is cool because I was part of a project, uh, there's a, a podcast that they do, uh, the Indiana Jones movies, one minute of the film per episode. And we broke down, I was, I was a guest for part of uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And here's something interesting. It shows you that you can be a great director, but if you've got a terrible script, that no matter how good you make individual moments or scenes, when you string them all together, it can still fall apart. When you break down moments of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull... When you break down where the camera is, where the lighting is, where you watch how the, the, the action pieces are directed, it's got some really nice directorial moments. It shows you Spielberg still knows how to direct. It's just the story was crap. It was a, a steaming, a steaming pile of crap. And unfortunately, that's what you're left with. At the end of the movie, you go, I saw a lot of cool things. I had a lot of shiny baubles. It... it, it it was nice to see a well-directed film, but when you have a terrible story and when you've got plot lines that don't really work and you've got an, uh, an ending that leaves you less than satisfied, well, you walk out of the theater going, what did I just see? Which is why it's the worst of the films. Maybe five will be better. Spielberg won't be behind it. Good evening, Batman. Alfred. I've stepped up safety in the Batmobile, sir. Really? Should a villain steal it, someone will track it. If your airbag goes off, an advisor will assist you. If you're stranded, satellites will help locate you. And where have you put all these things? 
Just press the on-star button, sir. Well done, Alfred. My pleasure, sir. OnStar, how can I help you, Batman? Dusty's gonna clear up, put on a Windex shine. Wipe off the dirt and cheer up, put on a Windex shine. Spray sunshine all over the place. Only Windex has ammonia D, so nothing shines like it. Makes all kinds of shiny surfaces sparkle like glass without streaking. Spray sunshine, it makes you feel fine when you put on a Windex shine. Welcome back. BK on the air. I am not BK. I'm Alan Sanders filling in for BK. And uh, we may get uh, the dulcet baritone tones of Mr. BK next hour. He may join us from his luxury condo in the palatial estate of the BK vacation home on Panama's Isle. He'll be joining us at the top of the next hour for a little bit to just chat about his adventures over the last week. And that way you guys don't have to go too long having to listen to me. You'll get the the voice that you trust for all of the news of the weird, the strange, the bizarre, the nostalgic geekiness that you get every single Saturday. And oh, speaking of news, it's time for us to... The audience of the news, the weird, the strange, and the bizarre. And as it would be that I'm solo in studio, on solo, I've got the first news. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I've always liked exotic cats. I'm not a big cat person in the sense of, if I have to pick between a cat and a dog, I don't mind cats. And if, if somebody said, hey, look, my my family can't have this cat anymore, and it's a totally cool cat, Could, would you take it? We were just going to give it to you? I, you know, I'd probably do that. Because, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm an animal lover. But I'm, I gravitate toward dogs. But I do like some of the more exotic cats that you can have for a pet. And according to a story from UPI, a Michigan man's cat has now been officially named the tallest cat in the world. Now, we go to Michigan, where an 18.83-inch tall pet, just under two feet, was awarded the Guinness World's Record title of tallest living domestic cat this isn't exotic this is a domestic feline Fenrir which is a great callback to the Harry Potter world Fenrir a savannah cat belonging to William John Powers of Farmington Hills was awarded the title after Guinness World's record verified the feline's impressive height Savannah cats are a hybrid breed resulting from the mating of a domestic cat with several African varieties. Power said Fenrir's brother, Arcturus, was previously awarded the same title when he was officially measured at 19.05 inches in 2016, but the feline later died in a house fire. Arcturus still holds the title of tallest ever, but of current living cats, uh, we have got a new one here, and that is Fenrir. So, very cool. I, uh, my uh, nephew has a, I believe is a Savannah cat, they're just awesome. They almost look like miniature cheetahs. You almost like it's it's as if you had a um, you were on the set of Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Only Honey I Shrunk the the, the leopard, <laughs> and then you put him in your room, and it's like he's just a little smaller than the world around him. But you could almost see him on the on the prairies of Africa, just uh, hunting and going after whatever it is he wants to go after. Because after all, as a uh, as a 
as a as a uh, a mammal of prey. Uh, cats are much better hunters than dogs. Dogs are scavengers. Cats are hunters, and boy, do they know how to hunt. I've got the next news. We head to another Guinness World Record. This one, a blind skateboarder breaks a Guinness World Record with a 50-50 grind. I thought this was really impressive. A blind skater, once again, we return to my home state of Michigan, broke a Guinness World Record when he performed a 50-50 grind on a rail for a distance of 22 feet 5 inches. Daniel Mancina, age 35 of Royal Oak, said he took up skateboarding at the age of 13, the same year he was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. The condition affects the light-sensitive layer of tissue in the back of the eye and often leads to complete blindness. Mancina said the condition's progress was slow at first, but he eventually determined he had lost too much of his sight to continue skateboarding. Years later, Mancina said he decided to give skateboarding another try despite having only minimum sight or minimal sight in one eye. Quote, I rely on my white cane the most, using it to scan my environment and to find obstacles while skating, he told Guinness officials. Being a blind skater, I have to take my time to feel obstacles and have a good understanding of them before I start skating. Mancina, who is now completely blind, said he is constantly updating his technique. Quote, my favorite trick changes all the time. I get obsessed with a trick for a while and then kind of move on to new ones. I love skating flat bars the most. Mancina did a 50-50 grind, a trick where the skateboard slides on a bar or other surface for a distance of 22 feet 5 inches, earning the record for longest 50-50 grind on a skateboard, IS-2. IS-2 is Guinness's record for record breakers with visual impairments. Congratulations on showing us that just because you have a disability doesn't mean you are disabled. I've got the next news. This one, we head to Panama, not city, but the city of, not not Panama City Beach, but the city of Panama, to launch a futuristic oceanfront home. Well, it kind of went sideways. No pun intended. From Cologne, Panama, the unveiling of a futuristic luxury model home on Panama's Caribbean coast tanked last Thursday when the Seapod Eco prototype perched above the water on a column slumped... <laughs> Onto an adjacent dock. Developer Ocean Builders said in a statement that the sleek white home began to destabilize at the end of the launch event. It said no one was injured and the cause was, in fact, being investigated. The home that is reminiscent of a spaceship sits well above the water and features expansive views from a row of windows. The developers had planned to begin offering the homes for sale next year, touting them as friendly to the environment and to the economy. Having Slipped and fallen sideways, uh, they're going to have to revisit whatever mechanism that they had in place to stabilize and or put them into the ground. Not very big. I'd say they looks like a, a large one-bedroom apartment, but they are kind of cool looking. I could see where something like this could be interesting in pods where you have um, a chance to overlook a bay or something like this. But in all honesty, <laughs> I don't I don't need the leaning tower of, of the San Monaco compound. I need I need some stability when it comes to my household, my my abode, my formal former place or formal place of residence. I've got the next news. 
Uh, these are always fun. Never happens to me, never happens to BK, but we've got a story of a bargain hunter who came across an interesting document. We go to Portland, not Oregon, but Maine. Portland, Maine. This is a story out of the AP. A bargain hunter who went to an estate sale in Maine to find a KitchenAid mixer. Now, see, that would be me. I would be like, oh, I need a mixer. I need to go find a, a household appliance. Uh, to find maybe a mixer, a bookshelf, or some vintage clothes, actually walked away with a treasure. A 700-year-old treasure. What was it? Instead of a kitchen appliance, Will Siduri stumbled upon a framed document hanging on a wall. It had an elaborate script in Latin along with musical notes and gold flourishes. A sticker said 1285 A.D. Now, based on what he'd seen in manuscripts at Colby College... The document looked actually downright medieval. And then he looked at the price. 75 bucks? Well, if it was true, then it was a bargain. Academics confirmed the parchment was from the Bovis Missal, used in the Bovis Cathedral in France, and dated the late uh, the late 13th and was dated, excuse me, to the late 13th century. It was used around 700 years ago in Roman Catholic worship. Academics confirmed, uh, excuse me, an expert on the manuscript said that the document first reported by the main monitor could be worth as much as one million dollars. Ten thousand dollars. Spent 75 in his, at an estate sale. Ten thousand dollars after spying the unusual manuscript Sidiri contacted his former Colby College professor who was familiar with it because there's another page in the college collection the professor reached out to another academic who'd researched the document they quickly confirmed the authenticity the parchment was in fact part of a prayer book and priest liturgy and Lisa Fagan Davis executive director of the medieval Ac the medieval Academy of America and professor of manuscript studies at Simmons University in Boston said Absolutely, this is part of that liturgy. The full missile was once owned by William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper publisher, before being sold in the 1940s, and much to the consternation of today's academics, was divvied up into individual pages. The practice was common in the early 20th century. Thousands of unique manuscripts were destroyed and scattered that way. Here's BK on the air. We'll be back. Special program sponsored by Post Cereals, the cereals that make breakfast a little bit better. Shh, gold! Bargles! Great for folded gold! <laughs> <laughs> That's gold and sugar on Super Sugar Crisp. It's not a treasure. It isn't. It's a treat. And Super Sugar Crisp is part of a balanced breakfast. It's, it's a, a treat. treat! A super door sign of Super Sugar Crisp. The beast is asleep, awakening at your own peril. Zoo is open. Caution. Animals are not caged. There's six different <laughs> super door signs, one in each specially marked box of Post Super Sugar Crisp cereal. Kenner's new Bionic Woman Jamie Summers and the new Bionic Beauty Salon sold separately, assembly required. Jamie Summers had a red mission. We better check her bionic system. She's okay. She's off to Ruby here soon. Now brush and comb her beautiful hair. She's here. She's ready. The Bionic Beauty Salon, new from Kenner. The Bionic Woman sold separately. Well, ironically, BK's not here. <laughs> That's me. I'm Alan Sanders, and I am filling in for the wonderful, the talented, 
the larger than life BK from BK on the air. Such a pleasure to be trusted behind the golden microphone of the uh, of the BK Nation. And uh, coming up in just a little bit, we are going to have uh, a Star Wars update after the top of the hour. We've got uh, an update that we'll get to you, and so that'll be coming your way. We started off this hour, the first hour of BK on the Air, and I was talking about Deadpool 3 finally getting an announcement. Before I get into the story, I said that they cut a funny, funny, funny video. I'll, I'll play the first part, and then when the music interlude comes in, I will skip toward the end. But, uh, yeah, we had a chance to see that we are bringing a character back. A character of Wolverine. Played. We're going we're gonna to get the actual guy who played Wolverine. I'm not kidding, folks. Here's Ryan Reynolds and, Kevin, or me, and, and Ryan Reynolds sitting here making this announcement of a movie that won't come out for two years. This is them sitting in the, in the, in the family room talking to you. Hi. Hi. How are you? You have questions. Yes. I, I had a lot of questions. I'm sure you had a lot of questions, but rest assured, we're going to answer them right now. Like, for example, how is Wolverine alive yeah. after Logan? Logan uh, takes place in 2029. Mm -hmm. Totally separate thing. Mm -hmm. Logan died in Logan. Not touching that. What actually happens in our film is these two... Now, you can hear them talking in the background. This song, Jitterbug, is being purposely done on top while they're acting out all of these different things. Wolverine using his claws to stab Deadpool in the head, then hit him in the back, and then Ryan Reynolds is explaining, no, 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 we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to go through, and then Hugh Jackman is giving you the okay symbol, like, we've got it all figured out, this is going to be great, and then here's Ryan Reynolds saying, yeah, absolutely, this is going to be fantastic, and they are clapping now. Thank you, Kevin Feige. Love you, Kevin Feige. Thank you, MCU. And then it wraps up with a bunch of photo montages of Hugh Jackman and uh, Ryan Reynolds as friends, buddies. They, uh, they've got a wonderful rapport. Can not wait. How ironic. In the very first Deadpool movie, Ryan Reynolds made fun of the first time he played Deadpool in a Wolverine origin story. And to be able to then take Deadpool 3 by bringing Wolverine into that storyline, well, that's just downright cool. Let's get into it. Deadpool 3 to feature Hugh Jackman's return as Wolverine, says Ryan Reynolds. The story will be directed by Sean Levy. Hugh Jackman is set to reprise his role in Deadpool 3. Ryan Reynolds, who plays Deadpool, took to Twitter Tuesday, which we just played, to announce that Jackman will enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the third film. Quote, we are extremely sad to have missed D23, which was the annual D Disney conference where they announced a bunch of the films. But we have been working very hard on the next Deadpool film for a good long while now, he said in a video posted in his Twitter. I've had to really search my soul on this one. His first appearance in the MCU obviously needs to feel special. We need to stay true to the character, find new depth and motivation and new meaning. Reynolds cautioned the social media post, excuse me, captioned the social media post, quote, hard keeping my mouth sewn about this one. Talking about the first time we saw the horrible version of Deadpool in the origin movie of Wolverine. Hugh Jackman is set to, excuse me, every Deadpool needs to stand out and stand apart. It has been an incredible challenge that has forced me to reach down deep inside and I have nothing. <laughs> Reynolds continued in comical, in the comical video. 
Hard keeping his mouth sewn shut about this one. Ron Reynolds just said, just completely empty up here and terrifying, but we did have one idea. Hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine one more time? The X-Men star casually responded with, yeah, sure, Ryan, as Jackman was seen walking up the stairs behind Reynolds. The video, announced, uh, the video announcement concluded with Reynolds raising his eyebrows and closing out with the song, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. However, the caption comically read, I Will Always Love Hugh. <laughs> Texts slowly appear on the screen that reads, Coming Hune in big red letters as the film is slated to release in theaters in September of 2024. Deadpool 3 will officially join the Marvel Cinematic Universe after Disney's purchase of 20th Century Fox back in 2019. X-Men fans saw Jackman last as Wolverine in the film Logan that came out in 2016, which, by the way, is an amazing movie. It, 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 once again, just because it's a comic book story, much like we talked about with Batman in the middle of, the t of this first hour... You can have a really, really intense story that addresses real human issues, real things in society. You can have great drama and great performances and still be set in a quote-unquote comic book universe. Uh, says, the video announcement concluded with Reynolds raising his eyebrow. I did say that. Releasing in theaters September the 6th of 2024. Deadpool 3 uh, will officially join uh, the cinematic universe. X-Men fans saw him last in, I read that, uh, after working with Reynolds on Free Guy and The Atom Project, Sean Levy will direct Deadpool 3. Which, if you've not seen Free Guy, that's f really good. That's funny. I loved Free Guy. I thought it was going to be bad. I was like, okay, how good... Can a movie be about a non-player character in a video game? It is so good. It is really well done. And there's just enough humor in there. I mean, there's a lot at the end. But Free Guy is great. And I thoroughly enjoyed The wife and I both love The Atom Project that came to Netflix. Um, not the greatest maybe story story. But the human part of the story is why you watch it. You know, the surrounding sort of the construct of time travel and this, this guy from the future and coming back and meeting his younger self. We've seen that story before. So that wasn't dramatically original, but the moment of father, son and previous version of son playing catch. It's as heart warming and touching and emotionally evocative as the scene in guardians of the galaxy volume two, when star Lord gets to play catch with his dad, something he said he always wanted to do just the idea, this simple notion. And it's, and that's what I love about it. Really good storytelling the story. Like I said, it's not original in the turn in the sense of time travel, but in terms of the humanity, the, the element of family, the element of fathers and sons and the dynamic of the family, and then put it into the sci-fi setting really, really enjoyed the Adam project. So if you're a fan of Ryan Reynolds already, you're a fan, but if you've not seen uh, the Adam Project on Netflix, check it out. If you've not seen Free Guy, I believe also on Netflix, check it out as a standalone movie. Both of them standalone movies, both just really, really well done. A lot of a lot of performance, a lot of heart. That's maybe that's what I'm looking for. A lot of heart, just a lot of heart makes you just feel emotionally invested in what's happening on the screen, even if it is a little campy in terms on the surface, even if it feels a little light in terms of its uh, the the kind of science fiction pushing. It's not pushing that. That's not what it's there for. 
And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with Deadpool 3 being announced. I'm okay with Ryan Reynolds and I'm and then Sean Levy being behind it. I think it's in good hands. I think we're going to be in for a lot of fun in two years. And the fact that it is going to be rolled into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we know Wolverine is part of the X-Men. And if you saw the Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange 2... The X-Men were brought in as well as Fantastic Four, so who knows which direction we're heading. But because they specifically did a shout-out to Kevin Feige, obviously being being you know rolled into officially, not just standalone, but part of now the MCU, they really are going to have to make sure that those threads are working with all of the other story threads. You've heard BK and I as we start to wrap up. We've not been the biggest fans of C, uh, uh, Phase 4 so far. It seems to be alternative hit or miss especially more miss on the small screen. But Eternals, eh, was okay, not great. Then you had No Way Home, Spider-Man, that was good. Then you had, uh, well, I guess you had, uh, right after that, um, Doctor Strange 2, which was good. It had a couple of moments where you go, okay, which direction are we going? But it was still good. And then you had Thor Love and Thunder, and you go, ugh. This is really, really bad. She-Hulk. Oh, this is really, really bad on the small screen. Loki was great. It's going to get another season. That's fine. And then um, the Hawkeye six-part limited series. That was great. I'll watch that every holiday. It's it's the new Die Hard for me, the, the Hawkeye series. You could really watch that every Christmas time because it's set six days before Christmas, and each episode is one day closer to Christmas, and it's fantastic. So that was good. I, re- I really enjoyed, which was the precursor to Doc Strange 2, which was the first small screen thing, WandaVision. That was really well done. You had to stick with it to figure out why are we going back in, into seeing all of these like old sitcoms and watching Vision and Wanda play in these old sitcom roles. It all makes sense by the end. But I'm telling you, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not good. To be outdone now by She-Hulk, which is even more not good. In fact, I just caught up to the wedding episode. I didn't see the one that dropped yesterday, but I did catch up the wedding episode. The only thing I'll tell you is after battling six of these episodes of just bleh, we may actually have an interesting story thread (laughs) at the end of episode six. There may be finally a reason for telling the story we're telling instead of it being a silly sitcom that doesn't seem to work and is ruining all these established characters. We might actually have the hint of a storyline that might have been included sooner rather than later to keep me interested. Folks, I'm going to keep watching it because you know what? It's research. It's show prep. It's it's what allows us to bring you BK on the air every single Saturday. So I can battle it. I can take the whips and barbs, the scorns of time to be able to bring it to you every week along with BK, who will be back next week. It is top of the hour time for Fox News, so don't go anywhere. We've got another hour of BK on the air coming your way next. Yeah, it's me, Deadpool, and I got an offer that you can't refuse. I'm going to wait out here, okay? It's a big house. It's funny that I only ever see two of you. It's almost like the studio couldn't afford another X-Men. We'll return after these messages. Blip is the digital game that you can take with you anywhere. With the batteries you supply, the light-emitting diode zips across the screen. You try to press the right button to send it back. An automatic readout keeps score. Two people or only one can play. When you play with Blip, you get carried away. (laughs) So does Blip. Blip, the digital game from Tomy. 
bubble gum. Blow pops, ooh, and you can choose just one. Charms blow pops, make it lots of fun. Cause the great charms lollipops are soft bubble gum. They're made by charms in lots of juicy flavors. You love every one. Ooh, lollipops, soft bubble gum. Charms blow pops are two treats in one. Two great American treats in one. Blow pops from charms. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hello and welcome once again to Star Wars Extra, bringing you the latest from across the Star Wars galaxy. I'm your host, Mike Mann. Hello there. This week brought a heavy heart to many Star Wars fans. James Earl Jones is stepping down from portraying the legendary voice of Darth Vader. He has additionally signed off with Disney, so his voice will be replicated going forward to represent the Dark Lord. Jones, who is 91, has held the iconic voice for Vader in every Star Wars film to date, along with various animated appearances. For all Star Wars fans everywhere, thank you, Mr. Jones. What have you become? I am what you made me. The Star Wars Andor series has now released four of the episodes for season one. The gritty non-Jedi-fueled series has been widely received and deemed a breath of fresh air in regards to materials released since the Disney acquisition. There are two more episodes left to debut for season one, with season two scheduled for release in 2024. Congratulations, you are being rescued. Hasbro has released their 2022 Black Series Holiday Collection. Some characters featured are a holiday abominable Wookiee, a protocol droid, a biker scout, two different clone troopers, and a Mandalorian. All figures are detailed in a festive holiday fashion and are accompanied by a small companion, mostly porgs. <laughs> Phase two of the Star Wars High Republic series is about to kick off with the upcoming release of the Star Wars Path of Deceit novel by author Tessa Gratton. As we draw closer to the upcoming Star Wars The Acolyte series, which will be set in relatively the same time period. While there is much, much more going on in the Star Wars realm, that's all the time we have for this episode. This episode was written by Droidlag Media exclusively for Star Wars Extra and broadcast from Studio Lindora aboard the Lindora Prime. Be sure to check back next time for all the latest and greatest in Star Warsing. For Star Wars Extra, I'm Mike Mann. And now back to BK on the air. Thank you, Mike Mann, for that wonderful Star Wars report. And now, on the heels of that... Through the miracle of modern technology, that's how we actually were doing the show a couple of years ago. Wow, a lot of noise coming through. We've got BK from BK on the Air. What do you got? You on the, on the penthouse getting all that wind coming through? We do have a lot of wind, yeah. Can you hear me all right? I do. You, there's definitely a little bit of noise, but we can make... Th we, look, our phone line is a lot worse, so we're fine. <laughs> oh, no, this sounds much better. Yeah, we know that. So, hey, I talked earlier. You managed to work out a deal with Mother Nature. She held off going through Orlando to let you finish going to Universal Studios. Yeah, we did. We did something to, by accident. I mean, we didn't plan it at all. We couldn't have done it that way again. We were we were a step and a half ahead of Hurricane Ian the whole way. We were in uh, Universal Studios enjoying it for a few days. And then we, we were going to leave Wednesday morning around uh, 8 o'clock. 
o'clock and head toward Panama City Beach. But when we started looking at things like, let's turn back our departure time to Panama City to about 5 o'clock. And then we saw another report and we're like, let's turn it back to 3 a.m. Let's leave at 3 a.m. And then we watched it a little bit longer. And I just kind of looked at Mrs. BK and I said, it was like 11 p.m. I'm like, let's go. So we went ahead and left that night at 11 p.m. and drove all the way to Panama City, got there fairly early, slept in the car for about four hours near our condo because we couldn't check in Wednesday till 4 p.m. So we uh, got up Wednesday morning, enjoyed Panama City for a while because the whole time we were at Panama City, it was sunny and mild and just a little bit of wind and it was beautiful. So there you go. Were you able to at least enjoy some of the rides you were looking forward to in Universal? We did. I got to reserve, I got to ride everything that I that I didn't get to ride before. I can I can tell you that the Jurassic World Velosa Coaster, Velociraptor roller coaster, is probably one of the fastest and most intense and most fun roller coasters that I have ever been on. Now I'm not a roller coaster enthusiast. There's a there's a club of roller coaster enthusiasts out there that have ridden hundreds of coasters in their club, and I know they review them on their own website. But I haven't been on hundreds. But of the ones that I've ridden, the Velosa Coaster is the fastest the most intense is great wow sounds like a lot of fun i know i i want to get to dis uh, not just disney sorry i want to get to orlando and visit universal it's been so long and one of the things that uh, you guys shared on social media so i don't think there's a problem in bringing it up uh you guys had a chance to go to harry potter world and the mrs mrs bk got a little special treat with her wand she did there's a place in the wizarding world where you go into olivander's uh, wand shop and usually when you go in there uh, you, you're walking in it's a presentation of, of this there's thousands of wands and boxes on the shelves inside it's a lot like the film and someone's represented representing Ollivander and they go through this whole little thing and they usually pick a kid and the kid comes out and they grab the wand and try one and it's the wrong one and it's all time she goes oh point your wand up on the wall and make the make the something float and they'll do it and mess up and go oh that's obviously not the wand for you so they actually do wind up getting a wand well a kid got chosen we got ushered out and then as we went out she turned around and stopped both of us mrs bk and i and someone said could you two step back in here please and we're like what what did we do what did we do wrong and we walked back in and, and they went through the entire presentation again with no one there but just us and mrs bk was chosen and got her wand that is just so cool i, I know i responded i know my wife did as well uh you guys are friends of ours and we were i i literally said rest assured for the adults in your listening audience there were two sitting here in northwest georgia extraordinarily jealous well somebody was pretty giddy and happy and had a big smile on her face the whole time it was happening and i was happy for it too and we were so excited that Neither one of us thought of taking the phone and record it, and we totally forgot. But we were just caught up in the moment, and it was really fun. So we got to do that. We also got to ride uh, Hagrid's motorbike, magical motorbike ride, uh, which I didn't get to ride last time, and it's fantastic as well. So we got to ride all the new stuff, and uh, the old stuff was there. We had a good time, and uh, just in time before the rains and the flooding moved into Orlando, and I understand part of the Hulk is underwater now. And uh, part of the wall was ripped off of uh, the Jurassic Park ride, too. We saw that as well. Uh, I'm glad you you were able to get out of there safely. And uh, always good to know that uh, the, the women in our lives are, are, are made to smile when presented with a magic wand. That's true. A very big smile on their face, too. Yeah, that's great. If you can't hear it, uh, the music is playing, which means we're up against a break. You want to hang on for another segment? 
I'm hanging. I'm fine. Yes. All right. We'll talk with BK a little bit more, folks. He's checking in live from PCB, Panama City Beach, uh, doing a little bit of a fill from afar, but we'll be back to full complement, full strength next week. We'll chat a little bit about uh, more of his adventures. Well, let me hit a couple of things in the news and uh, more with BK on the air. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to AM 1450, FM 100.3, WBHF, Cartersville. Wingardium Leviosa. Stop, stop, stop. You're going to take someone's eye out. Besides, you're saying it wrong. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. Shut the front door. Came to this little place, waiter says, try this, you'll like it. What's this? Try it, you'll like it. But what is try it, you'll like it? So I tried it. Thought I was gonna die. Took two Alka-Seltzer. Alka-Seltzer neutralizes all the acid your stomach has churned out. For your upset stomach and headache, take Alka-Seltzer and feel better fast. Alka-Seltzer works. Try it, you'll like it. Men, ever stop to think what's wrong with you dining alone? No beautiful girls in your life. Always the insipid jerk who makes other people want to throw up the moment you enter a room. Well, relax. Nine out of ten times, the problem is simply loss of hair. And Mr. Macho has the answer. Natural-looking hair pieces that feel as good as they look in the wind, in the jungle, in the shower. When you're with that very special girl, only you and Mr. Macho will know your secret. So in Cincinnati, dial 555-MCHO. That's 555-MACHO. Ask for Clarence. Clarence. Wes, you got dead air. Dead hair? Welcome back. This is BK on the air. I am not BK. I am Alan Sanders filling in, but joining me via our Zoom connection to do another segment with us is the voice of BK on the air. BK, welcome back. Booger. Booger. <laughs> you know, I want to hit this story that you sent me. With the WKRP music playing. Yeah, I want to hit this story you sent me because we both have an affinity for Star Trek. You Definitely have a lot more of the Star Trek lore, the stories, the the characters memorized. You know the names, the you know, you know everything. We've been talking off and on for a long time that there's going to be a fourth film in the franchise. They announced it. J.J. Uh, Abrams said it'll be a bad robot. Just, did you know that they've just now pulled it because the director that had been slated to to the, to tackle the project said, "Adios, I've been called back to the Marvel world. I'm going to be directing Fantastic Four instead." Yeah, and for me, it's it's you know I wouldn't mind seeing another Star Trek film, but that that's kind of good news because uh, the the director who they pulled was involved in Wandavision, so now he's going to be directing Fantastic Four. So that kind of makes me happy. Sad that there's probably just a delay with the star trek film now even more of a delay but uh i still think we'll get a star trek film before we get a james bond movie <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's probably the I'll truth 
Um, yeah. The guy who yeah, directed all that story. Yeah. The guy who directed all of the episodes of WandaVision, which by the way won an Emmy and got him an award as well. Um, he knows what he's doing. Matt Shakeman is a really, really good director. The WandaVision was just so well done. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe, when they lost John Watts, who formerly directed Spider-Man No Way Home, he was initially associated with the Fantastic Four reboot. They said, you know what? We've got another guy who just, you know, got an, an Emmy Award winning series, the first of the small screen Marvel Cinematic Universe for Disney+. Plus. Let's see if he's interested. He's like, I'm there. I'm coming back to the MCU. Why not? And I feel confident that he will do a fantastic job directing it. The thing I loved about WandaVision, beyond the fact that it was an ele- an evolutionary story, that you had to stick with it to understand why were we going back into these old sitcom and why were we advancing every decade with a new episode. Outside of that, this director remembered it's about the human being, the emotions, the real world. I mean, we were watching a, a woman in self-delusion who wanted to hold together the idea of a husband and children and a family. Dude. It was an emotionally wrenching series, and to know that somebody who's going to be behind Fantastic Four, who understands it's about people first, is a really good sign. And that was always what Fantastic Four was about, the comic book and the story of those four characters. That three, Two of them that were related, I think, if I get it right, one, and one of them related by marriage, and then one of them just friends with all of them. So they were all very close, so hopefully he'll handle that well. The other thing I saw was interesting is uh, Blade... The MCU Blade film lost their director, and I heard another rumor that uh, um, Sam Raimi may be picking up after the Blade director quit to step in to direct Blade. So if he does that, this will be two films where the director dropped out and Sam Raimi stepped in. (laughs) So I'm like, wow, that could be interesting. You know, of all the storylines, though, which I think is interesting that Multiverse of Madness intentionally went more of the horror direction or at least had elements of horror, which, of course, Sam Raimi well known for. It makes sense. If you're going to pick a storyline that really belongs in a horror genre, why wouldn't it be a vampire hunter? Yeah, and he's a versatile director, too. He, he, he turned around and made three Spider-Man films for Sony that was that are still immensely popular with Tobey Maguire that weren't have any horror element to them at all. So he's really good at, at doing just about anything now. So anything Sam Raimi gets a hold of, or a Shank, uh, Shankman, I think, was that the guy that's that was with WandaVision? Matt Shank, Shankman? Am I saying their name right? I can't remember the name right. But either one of those guys, I think, would be good on either project. Yeah, Matt Shankman. Matt Shankman, obviously, we just talked about being the guy in the Fantastic Four. Here's the thing, though. When you look back at the Spider-Man trilogy that, that Sam Raimi got us, and, and I think you and I both agree, you don't get Iron Man, you don't get the MCU, you don't get the rebirth of Marvel had those Sam Raimi movies not done what they did. I mean, they really kicked off this idea that comic book characters can tell great stories that are appealing to more than just the comic book reader. Yeah, people go, thank goodness for the um, for the uh, first Iron Man movie or we wouldn't have an MCU. I'm like, well, to a certain extent, that's true. But yeah, you're right. Go back and say that those Spider-Man films with Raimi and McGuire had been popular and made money and were successful. You might not have anything. And then the other film that actually pulled Marvel out of the red at the point that they were near bankruptcy, was the first Blade movie with uh, Wesley Snipes, believe it or not, money-wise. So we have a lot to thank, at least a little bit of Sony, <laughs> for for some of those things, but I think it's the filmmakers we should thank. Oh, yeah. And I, I would argue this, that even though the first trilogy of Spider-Man wasn't, quote, horror, 
folks who watch the movies for the first time, there are some dark moments. And then when you've got the the duality of uh, of Goblin and he's talking to himself and he's got the sense of schizophrenia, there are some of those Sam Raimi elements that really did play to those strengths. Yeah, the shock shock scares, the the camera angles, the lit from below scene when the uh, when the arms are taking over when they're trying to remove the arms from doc ock in the medical in the medical operating room some of those some of those angles and scenes and lighting are right out of evil dead you can spot it if you're a, a sam raimi fan which i am and he's a he's a entertaining director he's a super nice guy too in a lot of his interviews so obviously things are always in flux you know we bring up these well so and so left so and so left so and so that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a, it's a bad project or a bad movie. I mean, this happens in the real world all the time. It's just we focus on what's happening. I don't think that it means we've got a bad script or a bad story. I just think uh, maybe Kevin Feige is taking taking heed of where to put the strengths where they need them right now because they've had a couple of, in my estimation, flops in the last few years. Yeah, and I've also heard that Thunderbolts is <clears throat> in the early works. That's kind of a, of a pseudo-villain, good guy, superhero group. And now they're now they're reporting they're trying to approach. I read they're trying to approach Harrison Ford to be uh, to be the star of the show as like the leader in some capacity, kind of like I guess uh, Nick Fury or something like that character. So I don't know how far that's going to go, but the Thunderbolt shows in, in the works too. But it, it, they're not they're not uh, they're not dead. Those movies are still that franchise is still moving pretty strongly. Whether you like some of the present TV shows or movies or not, but it's still pretty strong right now. I'm going to get into this story that you sent me here after the bottom of the hour, but just since we're running out of time, got about four minutes left, I want to ask you your thoughts. Three big tent poles really left in the season for the Hollywood for 2022. Black Adam, Avatar 2, Black Panther 2. Thoughts just in general of these three, quote, tent poles that are going to try to bolster what has been still a fairly anemic box office. Well, I have no doubt that Wakanda Forever will be a will be a huge success for the MCU just for several reasons. Because even if Chadwick Boseman hadn't passed away, it would have still brought a lot of people back to it to watch it. Now that that did happen, people are going to watch it for even other reasons, and maybe people that wouldn't have watched it before. So that's going to be a success. Black Adam with Warner in DC, I'm not so sure because it's not a very well known character with a lot of people. But that doesn't mean anything if it's a great film. But it is DC Warner, so I don't know what to think, and I'm not I'm not really burning to see that one either in the theater but it does have Piers Brosnan in it as uh, Dr. Fate and uh, I can't remember who's playing Hawkman but, but they're introducing Hawkman too and heading toward more another some more uh, DC stuff opening up so uh, so yeah a lot, a lot of stuff are on the horizon I, I, I think it's a it's a crapshoot for some of the stuff. And uh, what was the third film? Avatar 2. James Cameron finally thinks the technology is where he needed it to be to continue his Avatar series. It will be that'll be interesting because I think there's a lot of people that have forgotten what Avatar even they forgot, forgot what it is. I mean, and a lot of the older people maybe haven't, but I don't know. That was that could bring fans of Avatar back into the theater. I don't know if it's going to do that well or not. It's going to be spectacular looking. You and I both know that. So that definitely will be a streaming thing for me because I'm not a big Avatar fan. But uh, there's still maybe some Avatar fans out there. We'll see how that plays out. You know, we did the box office on Monday. You know, we do that on Bartos Morning News, and they re-released the original Avatar to kind of remind audiences what it's supposed to look like on the big screen. Uh, whether you like James Cameron or not, we can all agree that certain movies are meant to be seen at least on the big screen. Uh, it was number two in the box office after being re-released, what, 13 years from its original release. 
So maybe it will. Maybe it's got some legs, and it will uh, it will fly again. I know that they're. I think they're underwater on this one mostly. So, so yes, it'll be fun to sit back and watch and see what happens. But I'm looking forward to Wakanda Forever and Black Adam. Now that may be a streaming one for me. I'm not sure. I've gotten kind of burned on on uh, Warner. I can see before. I can tell you that uh, Black Adam is at, not not only on the back of that three. It is so far back that if I miss it, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to feel like yes. I missed out. I can understand that. I agree. All right, so we've got about two minutes. You want to tell us anything else about your trip and uh, and then having you back? Looking forward to next week. Well, I got some friends in Charleston right now that have battened down and they're okay. So thank goodness they're they're okay. And I want to say a big thanks to uh, you and Brian for filling in last weekend and you for filling in this weekend. I appreciate both Saturdays and there's been a lot going on. I, I thought it was good news that. We're going to be able to refer to John Williams as Sir John Williams now. That's going to be great. That's well well received, composer John Williams. But yeah, we just had a good time. We're now we're now officially on our way back right now. We should be back uh, hopefully late this afternoon. But I appreciate everything. We had a fantastic time, and we're so glad that we stayed ahead of that storm. You know, it's going to be crazy for the next few weeks. We're going to be gearing up for our annual Halloween spooktacular. How cool is this? Our Saturday show before Halloween falls two days before the spooktacular. So you and I get kind of a back-to-back treat. We get to bring our, our, our typical Halloween flair to Saturday, and then we get a special spooktacular Monday night. Yeah, we might hear a little Edgar Allan Poe from two different people from both of us, a lot of stuff. Oh, we I guarantee, I, <laughs> I can guarantee being a fifth Saturday, I don't have a special guest. So, yes, people are going to be able to hear the telltale heart and maybe quote the Raven, nevermore. Yes, and thank you for filling in, buddy. I appreciate it. BK, you drive safe. Say hey to Mrs. BK. Keep that wand safe, and remember, you know, the right stick on the road. That's what you got to be hanging on to. <laughs> That's right. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. That was BK from BK on the Air checking in on his own show. I am going to take a quick break for GNN News. When we come back, we've got a couple more segments. We'll get to some more stories right here on BK on the Air. The Battle of Galactica has begun. Where are the humans? They are on the Universal Studios tour at the collapsing bridge and suspect nothing. We will capture them. In the doomed glacier expedition. We will torture them. At the shark. We will annihilate them. They are here. The Battle of Galactica has begun. At the Universal Studios tour. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Ed's Almost Good Beer. Remember, Ed's Almost Good Beer was brewed in God's country when God wasn't looking. A little bit of a bumper shift there for you. We were talking about a possible fourth Star Trek film that now has been put on the back burner. We were talking with BK about that. And that is the theme from the reboot the Kelvin timeline, if you will, of Star Trek 2009. J.J. Abrams, the reboot with Chris Pine as the lead as a young James Kirk and Zachary Quinto as a young Spock. You had a lot, a lot of talent involved in the, the, the trilogy. It, it's only been a trilogy, which the third installment of the trilogy really did not do well at the box office. I know it's BK's favorite. The first one is my favorite of that trilogy. I didn't mind the second one. I knew what they were doing. I hated the fact that they lied to try to be cute about it. 
that it wasn't going to be a retelling of the Khan story, of uh, which is what the classic movies, when they did the movies, you know, you had Star Trek, the motion picture, did okay in the box office, not great, spent a lot of money. They were like, you know, it's a franchise. Can we do something with it? Well, let's cut the budget way back and give it to somebody who might breathe a little action and adventure into it. And uh, came up with Wrath of Khan, which is still my all-time favorite classic Trek movie. It is phenomenal. Uh, love Wrath of Khan. And we, with the reboot, J.J. Abrams was like, oh, no, part two, we're not going to do a Khan story. No, we're going to have a suicidal madman who's just brilliant and has been biologically engineered. But no, it's not Khan. Come on. Just be honest. Say, you know what? It's, a, it's an alternate timeline. We're exploring the classic relationships of the original cast to a new audience. And we thought it'd be fun to have a re-envisioning of the Khan story. Just be honest. And you know what? Maybe people like BK and others would have been like, okay, okay, I get it. You're not touching Khan. You're giving us a different version because things changed. It's a different timeline because of the events of the first Star Trek reboot. Which I think, by the way, as filmmakers, was brilliant. I still think as a reboot of the franchise, which has breathed... It is the most successful franchise in Paramount's history, by the way. It still is the biggest money-making franchise for Paramount. The Star Trek universe. Small and big screen. But the idea of saying, you know what? We've got the classic Trek. We've got classic Trek movies. If we, quote, reboot this, but we do something that breaks a timeline because there's enough people out there that eat, sleep, breathe the lore of this world... They're not going to accept us. They're going to go, wait, hey, you're, you're breaking this and this didn't happen and you're breaking what happened here and you're, you're changing history. I love the idea. They said, you know what? Let's go back to Back to the Future 2. In Back to the Future 2, Doc explains how you can be on parallel timelines and that you can't fix something in a different timeline without going back to the previous point where you shifted from the timeline you're on. Not if we strictly follow the rules of time travel. That means no talking to our past selves, no betting on sporting events. I'm going to stop you right there, Scott. Are you seriously telling me that your plan to save the universe is based on Back to the Future? Is it? No. Good, you had me worried there, because that'd be horse That's not how quantum physics works. So what they did with the, with the reboot is they literally said, we're going to change the timeline, and our story follows a different version of these same characters as they move through this version of their timeline, thereby leaving the previous timeline intact, which is why they call this the Kelvin timeline, because the movie starts off with a uh, Romulan, a future Romulan ship destroying the USS Kelvin, which turns out to be uh, Kirk's dad, given five minutes to captain the ship before uh, reaching its doom. Well, we were talking about it with BK, but I want to get into the full story here. comes from Variety. Star Trek sequel has now been officially removed by Paramount from the upcoming film slate. Paramount has removed the title Star Trek sequel because, as J.J. Abrams actually jumped ahead, jumped the gun, J.J. Abrams actually said that it was going to hit theaters December 22nd of 23. So just over a year from now. Well, ra the rather inevitable news comes roughly one month after director Matt Shakeman exited the Star Trek film, which was nominally set to be the fourth cinematic tour of duty for Chris Pine as Kirk, Zachary Quinto as Spock, Zoe Saldana as Uhura, Carl Urban as Bones, and John Cho as Sulu, as well as Simon Pegg re uh, re re reprising the role of Scotty. 
Shackman was successfully courted by Marvel to helm Fantastic Four. We talked about that. Here's the interesting thing. While J.J. Abrams jumped the gun and said, oh, it's coming, the Paramount Global had yet to sign any of the cast. I mean, that's a problem. If you're an insider in Hollywood, when you've got a, a, a producer and an actor, excuse me, a producer and a director and a writer who goes, oh, yeah, no, there's definitely a fourth movie. We're doing it. It'll be out December 23rd, I mean, December 22nd of 2023. And you're Paramount going, we don't have a contract with the actors. We, uh, would have been would have been nice to lock them down, get those uh, the dot the i's cross the t's of all those different agreements before you go make that announcement. They they assign a director. They're like, okay, we've got a story, we've got a director, and then all of a sudden, a month ago, it all goes tango uniform. So we'll have to see what happens with that. I am interested in another Star Trek film in that universe. I've liked, I love the first one. The first one is one my wife and I can go back and rewatch over and over and over and over and over again. We've, we've, we have rewatched the second one a handful of times, but not nearly as much as the first. And I think we've only watched Star Trek Beyond once. I probably need to go revisit it, but I just, it left me flat. There was not a whole lot to it. I'd seen these storylines before. There's only so many times you can keep blowing up the Enterprise as your main plot device, stranding you somewhere as your main plot device. It wasn't poorly directed. It just... I think it was poorly conceived as a as a third installment. So, uh, is what it is. Uh, what can we do? You know, it's um. I think a. Um, I think when it comes to Star Trek, I love the ideas of Star Trek, and I think a lot of people also love the ideas of Star Trek because it is more science. Fiction. It's the science. It's the relationships of exploring and, and leveraging science. Whereas Star Wars is more sci fantasy. It's sci. It's set in the in a futuristic world, but it's got more fantastical elements. Um, so I do think Star Trek stands apart because it is wholly different. And I think you can be as equal a Star Trek fan as a Star Wars fan. I know I am. I know for me, that's that's without a doubt is uh, something that I fully embrace, both of those worlds. I, I don't have to pick one over the other because they're different. It's like saying, which do you prefer, a steak or fajitas? Well, I love fajitas. That's great. I love, I love Mexican food, but I love a good old-fashioned American steak. I love a burger. I love a pizza. I mean, I love food. I'm not going to rank them. <laughs> they're different. Now, if you tell me, pick which is the burger joint that has the best burger, and I'm going to look at just nothing but burgers, I'll rank those. But I don't have to rank Star Wars to Star Trek because, to me, they kind of fall in two different categories. Now, you may not know who wrote that. You may not know that this has anything to do with the next story I have. But is there any doubt that you know exactly what song this is? It has, is there any doubt in your mind that you have heard it before? That you've probably even said it before or sung it before? Seems somewhat familiar, doesn't it? Theme, the first one was a theme from Jaws. The second one here, theme from Superman. Got another theme here I want to throw in. Oh, we're already up against the break. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this here as a tease. I'm going to actually just pause this right now as a tease because I have a story. You heard BK touch on it, but I've got the details coming up. And it has to do with that very composer 
that probably has written more iconic pieces of music to go with films that almost everyone in current culture recognizes. Whether you're Gen Z, Gen X, Gen Y, or the Boomers, chances are you're aware of many of these themes and many of these films. We'll be back with more of BK on the Air. Okay, Eunice Travel Plans, I need to be in New York on Monday, LA on Tuesday, New York on Wednesday, LA on Thursday, New York on Friday, got it? Got it. Got it. So you want to work here? What really makes you think you deserve a job here? Well, sir, I think on my feet I'm good at figures and have a sharp mind. Excellent. Can you start on Monday? Yes, sir, absolutely, without hesitation. Congratulations, welcome aboard. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And in conclusion, Jim, Bill, Bob, call Fred, Low, Dork, Ava, and Ted. Business is business, and as we all know, in order to get something done, you got to do something. In order to do something, we got to get to work, so let's get to work. Thank you for taking the meeting. Peter did a bang-up job. I'm putting you in charge of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. I know it's perfect, Peter. That's why I picked Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's perfect. Peter, may I call you Pete? Call me Pete. Pete. There's a Mr. Schnittler here to see you. Home to wait 15 seconds. Can you wait 15 seconds? I'll wait 15 seconds. Congratulations on your deal in Denver, Dave. I'm putting you down to deal with Dallas. Don, is it a deal? Do we have a deal? It's a deal. I got to go. I got a call coming in. Hi, Doc. Just dealt with Don. In this fast-moving, high-pressure, get-it-done-yesterday world. Aren't you glad there's one company that can keep up with it all? You got a deal, good. I'm putting you down to deal with Dick. Dick, what's the deal with the deal? Are we dealing? We're dealing. Dave, it's a deal with Don, Dork, and Dick. Dork, it's a deal with Dave, Dick, and Dave. Don, it's a Dork with Dick, Dave, and Dave. Gotta go, Dave. Disconnecting. Gotta go, Dick. Disconnecting. Gotta go, Dan. Disconnecting. Federal Express. When it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight. And welcome back to BK on the Air. Alan Sanders filling in. Maybe the most iconic opening of any film franchise that everyone, the world-renowned, knows across multiple generations. I said that before we went to the break about so many of these movies and characters. I'm playing a montage of some of the scores, some of the sounds of the films, the soundtracks, the scores that made these movies just so iconic. You just know them. People know them. You just know the world, the feeling, the texture. And a lot of that has to do with the one, the only, John Williams. And in Billboard magazine, I'm going to let some of this play underneath because why not? It's John Williams. John Williams and Bob Iger awarded honorary knighthood by the late Queen Elizabeth II. This is a story from the 24th of September, so uh, about a week ago. Former Disney CEO Bob Iger and Star Wars composer John Williams are the latest Hollywood industry members to receive an honorary knighthood. The honor grants both entertainment titans with the title of KBE, which is formerly known as Knight Commander of the Civil Division of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. Try to say that quickly three times fast. Knight Commander of the Civil Division of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. Bestowed by Queen Elizabeth II, who died on September the 7th at the age of 96, Iger and Williams are just two of among a larger group of 2022 class-approved honorary British awards. Iger, who received his award as part of his contributions to the United States and the UK relations, remembered the Queen and her extraordinary life and service in a statement, saying, It is truly special and one of the great honors of my life to have the honorary knight of the British Empire confirmed on me and by her before she passed. Our two nations share a strong bond, which I have seen up close over many years through my deep personal and professional connections to the United Kingdom. I have great affection for the people of the UK and have always appreciated and been inspired by their extraordinary contributions, particularly in the creative arts. Williams was honored separately by his services to film music. The KBA honor is typically given to non-Britons who have made important contributions to the relations between Britons and their own country. 
While Iger led the Walt Disney Company for 15 years between 2005 and 2020, serving as chief executive, Williams, a legendary award-winning composer and conductor, has frequently collaborated with Steven Spielberg and worked on a number of iconic Hollywood scores beyond Star Wars, including Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, and Indiana Jones. The honors make Iger and Williams among the last people to achieve to receive the honor from the late Queen. Congratulations. A little bit of E.T. here. Just, you know, you heard BK say before, when you go to a combination of Disney and Universal, there are so many movies that are hooked into John Williams' score that you'll hear that music throughout the parks. John Williams has really scored the movies of my generation. Me as a Gen Xer. And even before my my being on this face of the earth, if you go back to him on television talking about things like uh, doing the soundtrack to Lost in Space and some of the other TV shows. But in terms of film, John Williams has been the composer of my movie history. When it comes to my experience in the films, when it comes to the films that I love, that I own, that I cherish, the number of scores that John Williams has given us is it's it's amazing and to have been given uh conferred the honorary title of knight sir john williams now thanks to the before the passing of the queen is astounding so congratulations both bob Iger, disney and of course uh, disney now owning the star wars franchise one of the many things that uh, john williams is associated with uh the two of them kind of go hand in hand all right, got a couple more news items we're going to try to get to here. We did talk about the uh, box office. You know, in 2017, the box office, uh, the, the, the domestic box office, that's just ticket sales in the United States, topped $11.1 billion. In 2018, it topped $11.98, almost $12 billion. And then in 2019, $11.48. So three years in a row, breaking the $11 billion mark. Then the world caught the flu. And the flu went round the world, and the panic and the fear and the fear porn went into hyperdrive, and people forgot about the movies. Now, BK and I went to the movies. 2020, the gross box office sales went from 11 million, excuse me, 11 billion to just 2.2 billion dollars. 2021 started to snap back. A lot of the freer red states chose to be open, and people went back to the movies, and 4.5 billion. But 2022, you would argue we're, we're kind of back to normal. But 2022, only 5.6 billion. About half of where we were two years ago. Three, if you think about it. I mean, I guess the last two years, 2020 and 2021, don't really count. But half of where we were from 2019. Now, we're not done with the year. We still have a couple of movies left. We did talk about this with BK for a minute. But according to Variety, the 2022 domestic box office has already surpassed the prior year, but well short of where we were for three years running. I mean, you were pretty well guaranteed every year $11 billion at the box office. And it's not been going so well. Uh, predictive data provided exclusively to Variety Intelligence Platform from Content Analytics from Cinelytic, as, uh, from Cinelytic assesses four films that could earn big at the box office between now and the end of December. The big one's going to be James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water. 
Now, I know this is not one of BK's things. For some reason, BK's got that weird quirky thing where, like, the rest of the world will love a movie so he won't like it. <laughs> and then there'll be a movie that the rest of the world is not too keen on. And he's like, oh, no, it's great. But isn't that what makes us all great? Because we all have variety and we all have different things that really pique our interests. But according to this, Avatar's The Way of Water sequel is expected to make the biggest splash, no pun intended, followed by Disney's sequel, The Black Panther, and then Warner Brothers' DC film, Black Adam, starring Dwayne Johnson, and then Universal's new Halloween sequel. Now, I don't know if you've seen this. I think it's called uh, Halloween's End with Jamie Lee Curtis. It kind of builds back on the guy that re, re, guy breathed new life into the Halloween franchise. Remember when he said, uh, when this new Halloween movie comes out, you really have to think of Halloween 1 and 2 as like movies 1 and 2, and then this one is now the official sequel. Not H2O, not Halloween 3, not Halloween 4, not all... The, you go watch one with a young Jamie Lee Curtis... Number two is really a continuation of that same movie. It really picks up where the first one leaves off. And then the new Halloween, Halloween reboot that came out a couple of years ago, that one is meant to follow exactly after but 30 years later. And now we've got Halloween End that is going to be coming out in time for Halloween. So perfect. So these analytic companies that are driving metrics to try to tell these companies what they think are going to be the next greatest big box office draws they're including Halloween, which I, I'm really happy to see is part of what they're hoping will be a continued rebirth and, 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 a, and a Hollywood box office that's continuing to try to get back to where it was. According to this, Cinelectic predicts Disney's follow-up to the 20th century's 2009 theatrical all-timer will rake in around $650 million at the box office. That's around the same amount from, uh, from VOD and physical sales, video on demand, with uh, streaming. This is notably below the $772 million for Avatar, the first one. So even though Avatar is expected to rake in $650 million, they still recognize that we haven't gotten every part of the country back to normal. There's going to be people who will probably sit out. But $650 million, not too bad. Now, don't forget, Top Gun did over $700 million this year. Top Gun 2 was fantastic. If you have not seen Maverick... You've missed out on a on a on a, just an amazing movie to see in the theater. The projected hall also would put The Way of Water below the film, currently sitting at number one. Top Gun Maverick, which in the story has since grossed over seven hundred million domestically and nearly one point five billion worldwide. Uh, according to this, they're also saying that the respective three hundred twenty eight million and four hundred twenty three million that they predict for Black Adam and Black Panther Wakanda Forever are otherwise consistent with the running tally for brands like Batman or The Batman and Doctor Strange 2. So they're hoping that the movies that actually were pretty successful considering where they are as individual franchise standalones, you can use that to sort of predictively model where the box office will go. I'll be honest, I have no desire to see Black Adam. I'm sorry. For you folks who are fans of that comic book, I just feel like Pierce Brosnan looks too much like Doctor Strange. I feel like Black Adam is just too much of... DC's problem is every one of their, quote, superheroes is so godlike. They have no... It's like, what's their flaws? How do you defeat them? You just eventually wait till the end of the movie and find some reason to defeat them. They just don't hold up like the Marvel movies in my mind. But Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the first Black Panther, was amazing. Chadwick Boseman was fabulous. This world they added to the MCU was so rich and textured and beautiful. 
I'm really looking forward to seeing that sequel. And since Phase 4 has floundered a little, they need to have a couple of cup, a couple of hits in a row. All right, folks. Thanks for putting up with me. BK will be back next week here on WBHF. BK on the air. Give it up. Podcast Magazine presents The Hot 50 Countdown. Hi, it's Rob Actis, host of the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 Countdown. Join me as I count them down from 50 to number one, the top 50 podcasts in the land as determined by you, the podcast fans. From true crime, society and culture, self-help, health and fitness, science, and every podcast category in between. The Hot 50 Countdown is here. And don't forget to vote for BK on the Air as one of your favorite podcasts at podcastmagazine.com. 